0: If you have a small business, then today's episode's for you. Did you know that there are six key areas or six key phases of business that make it run? And by understanding all six of these well and improving and optimizing all six of these even slightly, you can massively scale your business. In today's episode, I've got Donald Miller on the show, one of my all-time favorite authors. He's the author of numerous books, including Building a Story Brand, which is so good if you want to understand how to market your business and talk about what you do in a way that clarifies your message so people want to do business with you. But in today's episode, I had him unpack the meat of his latest book, How to Grow Your Small Business, a Six-Step Plan to Help Your Business Take Off. Um, He's just done such an incredible job of taking the complex nature of scaling a business and made it so simple. He's broken it down into these six core areas. And so my hope for you in this episode is as you lean in, you're going to look at these six areas and find the one or the two that you feel like you could optimize just a little bit more to help your business get to the next level. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this incredible conversation with the always brilliant Donald Miller. Well, Don, I, I'm excited to have this conversation. It's actually been like on my calendar on the week. It's been the thing I've been most looking forward to is I'm talking to Donald Miller. And it's funny because my wife is jealous. Um, you're a, a household name in our. she's an entrepreneur as well. Uh, when StoryBrand came out, um, gosh, I just finally felt like this is like the most helpful thing or framework I've seen that made marketing and copy and even thinking about the way I talk about what I do um, fun. And I think it's because you chose movies I love, and when you started talk about Star Wars, and I mean, <laughs> yeah. I started to see marketing so differently because of Story Brand, and I know that book has helped so many people. Um, even the guys at Kajabi, they I think they include it in their swag box for uh, Kajabi members. They buy a copy for everybody, That's and amazing. it's just so great. So that was such a helpful framework. And then I know you're diving deeper uh, into continuing to help small business owners, especially with this new book, How to Grow Your Small Business. Um, my first question though is. Um, this is a weird year, right? This is a weird year. Everyone's talking yeah. about recessions, economic collapses, but you decided to write a book in the last year or so about how to grow your small business, which seems counterintuitive. A lot of people are are just retreating. So why why this book and why now?
1: Well, I mean, if we are going into a recession, which as of yesterday, there's a 67% chance, according to whoever in the world comes up with those numbers, right. uh, I still think that the economy is too... Chaotic, if you will, to accurately predict a recession. However, we are we are dealing with inflation. We're dealing with major trade issues with China that's going to disrupt supply chain. Uh, AI is going to disrupt the workforce. I know IBM is thinking about laying off eight thousand or predicts eight thousand jobs uh, being replaced with artificial intelligence. So we're going into economic disruption. Everybody, when we go into something like an economic res- uh, disruption or or a you know a recession. They retreat, and it is the worst thing you can possibly do. What you need is a growth plan because if you execute a growth plan now, uh, one of the things that could happen is you stay the same where your your business would have declined. So if you sharpen your marketing messages, sharpen your sales process – Uh, sharpen your focus and vision, have three economic objectives is something I recommend in the book, and make sure that you are able to uh, execute on those objectives. Go into a growth plan, and if you do that, you have a much more likely chance of not just surviving, but actually staying the same or even growing. We did this, you know, 85% of my business was dependent on people flying to Nashville, Tennessee, and attending one of our workshops when COVID hit, that obviously was just massively disrupted. So I was looking at losing 85% of my revenue. Wow! And instead, we executed a growth plan and a growth strategy and saw a 30% increase in overall revenue and, and an additional about 15% increase in profit. And that's the key. And really, any small business owner who wants to survive and wants to thrive, needs to do that every year, whether or not they're going into a recession or not. You need a growth plan. How are you going to grow this year? What are you going to grow? Uh, how are you going to make that happen? So your, your survival in a recession is all about coming up with
0: and executing a growth plan. I, I love that. I love that you uh, sort of alluded to even staying the same is a win. It's I I'm in the, the digital space, right. And, and my students are course creators. It's a weird world where you can get really out of whack in terms of your expectations of, wow, we can two X every single year because the margins are almost infinite and, and you can grow and scale really quickly that you get to a point where, uh, at least I have in a couple of businesses where I feel like, shouldn't I be growing more? But in almost years later, in hindsight, I see some of the things I was trying to do that I thought were going to grow the business actually helped me stay the same one year or maybe grow by 5% right. where it actually it was, it was heading in a bad direction. I didn't realize it at the time, but had I not had some new initiative or a new income stream, I probably would have gone backwards. And what I thought that's was exact, a, yeah. oh, that's sort of a flat year was actually a huge win in hindsight. Right. Do you see that a lot in well, businesses? You, what
1: you have to do is you have to count the 20% decline or attrition that you would have had as growth. So that didn't happen. Of course, those numbers are invisible. Sure. But if you, you, listen, if you don't put effort into growing your business, it will shrink. There is no coasting. Mm. You know, that doesn't exist. If you are moving and you don't have your foot on the accelerator, you're going downhill. <laughs> That's yeah. it's the only thing that happens. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got to keep your foot on the accelerator at all time. I, I do believe in rhythms. And so there are times when you catch your breath and you, you breathe, that's on weekends. And if you need to take a three-day weekend every once in a while on a vacation, all that kind of stuff, the rest of the time, you got you to have your foot on the pedal uh, because somebody else is going to disrupt you and they're going to have their foot on the pedal. So the key there is to you know, have a plan uh, to optimize your small business for growth and execute that plan. That's the
0: key. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, let's, I mean, let's let's get into some of it. In the book, you've got six things that entrepreneurs should focus on to make a profitable business. Profit being key, right? Because top line revenue is one thing, but but at the end of the day, profit is is important. So can you, for one, like how do you you take us through this process of distilling something as complex as business and everyone's business is different. There's so many moving parts. How do you distill it into six areas, and how, and how do you feel like you came to those six areas? These are the, sort of the dials, as it were. If you focus on these six areas, you can grow your small business.
1: Well, 25% of small businesses fail within 12 months, which is, if you think about that's it's astronomical. Yeah. Uh, but it gets worse. 45% die within five years and 65% within 10 years. So, you know, the odds are against you making it. So what I did was just took a a, a look at the reasons that those 65 percent die and then tried to preempt those catastrophes. And they really boiled down to six sections, if you will, of your business. Leadership, which for me is all about casting a vision and the right kind of vision, and that is an economic vision. Uh, Marketing, clarifying your marketing message and creating a sales funnel uh, sales, being able to have conversations that invite customers into a story so that you can close the sales product optimization. And that is just taking a look at the products that you're offering and figuring out how to, you know, between you and me, Graham, and everybody listening, how to charge more for them. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, you just need more money. And so if you can actually, uh, create more value, then you can charge more for those products. And I can give you some examples of of some of my clients who've done that. Uh, Then there's the uh, overhead and operations, which is, you know, your biggest cost is probably labor. Even if you're a solo operation, you are the biggest cost. So the more productivity you can get out of your labor, the more lean your business is. And so uh, you need a management system, a way to manage people. And then, uh, finally, you need a, a, a system to help you manage cash flow. And so the book is six chapters. It's not a long book. Yeah, Extremely practical step-by-step advice to overhaul your leadership, your marketing, your sales, your product optimization, your management, and your cash flow. So it is, a, it is an ext- instruction book on how to run a business. Now, the reason it's a growth plan is because most businesses are not run very well. And they're they're you know as business owners we're duct taping things together Mm -hmm. we're only working on problems that are in crisis mode and we've just not built the thing the right way and I actually think that's a good thing because when you start a business. You just have to do what I call diving for dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we don't have time no. to build a beautiful machine. I don't have private equity handing me millions of dollars a month, right? I, I've got to build this on a shoestring. So that's a really good thing. But for, for the listeners who are listening and you're saying, okay, my business is, you know, it's making money, it's off the ground, it might be time to rebuild it the right way. Mm. And when you rebuild it the right way, it actually grows much, much easier,
0: I love that. I mean, a good example was me. When I started my first business, this was 2009, uh, the recording revolution. Um, I, I got connected with a few other people in the music production space. We were all YouTubers, bloggers, teaching similar stuff. And we kind of rallied around each other and tried to encourage each other. It was like an informal mastermind. It didn't last long because I realized early on that we just are not aligned on so many facets, one of which was I was giving away so much content for free and they thought I should be charging for it but I was like I think this is how I'm going to grow my audience is by teaching yeah, yeah. for free and they were like nah but one of the things I realized that I instinctively had you call it diving for dollars I I was broke I mean I was on food stamps I had a wife and a baby we moved to Tampa I didn't know anybody I needed to make money and so I I wasn't Desperate in the sense like I'll do anything, but I was like, all that matters is can I add value enough for someone would pay for something and just figure yeah. out what is the offer right now that I can make money off of. And th- some of the guys in that group were so proud of what you called the system that they were building, and they had the best funnel and their website, and they were, had this ad strategy. And but none of it was implemented yet. Like it was all <laughs> right, in right, their right. theory, and they showed Penny, me their Penny, deck. Penny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and it looked super impressive. And I actually felt very insecure around them because they knew more about business than I did. They knew probably these six dials as it were. And I was just like, I'm just getting on YouTube and I'm trying to collect some emails and I'm trying to come up with a course I could sell them and just see if it works. And it was messy and it felt, I felt foolish but I was starting to get some cash flow in the business. And, and I, those guys went out of business. I don't even know if they ever got into business, to be yeah. honest. Well, And, and, that, and I figured it out is, as I went.
1: Yeah. That's because you did the most important part, which is take action. Right. I mean, if you take action on a really bad plan, you're going to do much better than somebody who doesn't take action on a really great plan. <laughs>
0: 100% <laughs> you know, of the time. That makes sense. Yep.
1: And so it's like, hey, don't forget to move, right? I always say ship at 80%. Yes. You know, especially those of us who are perfectionists. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, that's the – those of us who, who are, are – you know, those of us who really just have to do everything perfectly, we get hung up in the final 20 percent of creating any kind of product or any kind of idea, writing a song, whatever. Sure. You get caught up on the final 20 percent. So, And that final 20%, right, can take years, years. I have friends living in Nashville who are in the music industry who have beautiful records. I mean, a beautiful 10, 12-song record that anybody would love, and they won't release it for years because they're working on the final 20%. Wow. And I'm like, when I listen to this, it just sounds like a record, man. It sounds done to me. Get it out there. And so I think those of us who are perfectionists need to, to do the 80% rule, and that is when you feel like it's 80% there, let it go and start making money on it. You can, by the way, you can iterate and improve on it after you let it go. The reality is your 80% is going to be perceived as 100% from your entire audience. That's a now, great that's insight. not an that's not an excuse to ship bad stuff, but it's just an excuse to say, look, the this, this, the, the problems that you see in this thing, other people probably are not going to see. And it's going to cost you so much, as much time to get the last 20% as it did to get the front 80%, that you are lo- losing money every day that you're not shipping this thing.
0: Yeah, that's so great. Can I get meta for a second? Do you... Yeah. You're an artist. You're an author. Um, have you felt that way with your books, whether it's in the fiction side or the nonfiction side? Like, have, Do you know internally now this book is 80% ready to deliver the manuscript or... Do you get caught up in the final percent to make it just right? Like, Where do you find that perfectionism in your own work?
1: Well, if I had my way, I would never release a book. I (laughs) I just enjoy writing and editing them. The only problem is God designed me with this quirk, and I don't know if the audience identifies with this or not, but I have this thing that happens in my body. I have to eat food. And in order to eat (laughs) food, I have to pay for it. I don't know if anybody can identify with that. Yeah, sometimes, yeah.
0: (laughs) But only intermittent fast for so long.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I would, by the way. I'd go go years (laughs) not eating so that I could keep editing my book. But at some point, you go, okay, I got to pay rent. And so it was the deadlines that the publisher established that made me ship at 80%. Now, there was a book, and I can't remember which book it was, but I remember I had the luxury of the time Mm -hmm. to keep editing and cleaning it and cleaning it and cleaning it. And um, I think no, I think it actually hurt the book. I don't think it ruined the book. I just think the book was so clean by the end of it that it didn't really feel human anymore. And the other thing is like as you edit as you edit a book over and over, you know, let's say, Graham, that there's a joke in the book that you think is funny. Now you're editing the book, and the second time, you're still like so proud of that joke. And the third time, you think, you know, that's really funny. My friend's going to love it. The fourth time, he's like, you know, it used to be funnier than it is. And the fifth time, he's like, that's not funny. You cut it out of the book mm. without realizing that the the reader is reading this for the first time, and they actually think it's that's funny. Good. So, you, you know, you do that with jokes. You do that with ideas. And there, there comes a point. Um, Blue Like Jazz was my first breakaway book, and I, I edited that book 54 times. Wow. From beginning to end, 54 times. Whew. And it's a really clean book, but I I also wonder if there weren't anecdotes and things in that book that that might have been better left in the book. You know, when I read um, Dave Eggers' "A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius," that's a book that shifted eighty percent, and because it shifted eighty percent, it's really a fun read. You you know, you sort of identify with the quirks of it, Mm. and uh, he even opens the book by saying if you want to get this out of the book, skip chapter three. If you want to get this out of the book, <laughs> I skip can appreciate chapter four. That. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's really kind of a fun thing. So I think perfection, um, it's very, very hard for people to resonate and identify with perfection. Uh, now, it needs to be good. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But perfect is the
0: enemy of of great. Really. Yeah. It really is. Man, I mean, and in, in getting it all ties together for me. But so this is sort of a selfish conversation. But even the meta layer of your your book, building a story brand, um, which is probably going to line up with the marketing side of the six yes. steps here in your book. You know, and that has helped so many people. Um, I I wonder, and maybe in your experience too, as you're coaching small business owners and and people are, are coming to you, or even on your podcast and having these conversations. I would imagine, because my experience is that marketing is one of those areas where perfectionism gets the best of us, especially if we're newer in business, we're doing the copy ourselves, clarifying our message. We read the book. It's so helpful. Makes sense. But then it's just like, but is it, uh, is it the perfect way to say what my offer is or say what I do or the headline on my, my homepage? Like I understand how powerful that is. Do you find that people really get stuck there and even need to just ship their marketing messaging at 80% as well?
1: I do think that people get stuck in their marketing, and they get stuck in the wrong place. Where people get stuck in their small business marketing is they get stuck on the way the brand looks and the way the brand feels. And I think you can spend half the amount of time that you're currently spending on look and feel, although I think style guides and things like that are very important. But what you really need to think about is your offer. And Mm. that's part marketing and part business strategy. Will somebody buy this, this, and this for this price if i give them the bonus of this that that, that sentence that i just said is is 75% of your marketing and you can, and we've done it. We, you know, we've all done it. If you go to an Amazon page to buy a product, I guarantee you that is an ugly page. That has links all over the place, <laughs> yeah. way too much text. Yeah. If you weren't familiar with it, it would be entirely confusing. You ever tried to watch a video on Amazon Prime and <laughs> try to find that video? Oh, my
0: gosh. Yeah. it's a. Nightmare. They're one of the
1: largest companies in the world. And the reason is people know what they're getting. They know what it costs. There's a description of it. And the, the habit they have of buying products from Amazon is worth literally billions of dollars. I, I think what we're trying to do sometimes as young business owners is we're trying to project an identity, oh yes. like our identity inside of our business, rather than sell products. And wow. that is a great way to crash a business. It's a great way to crash a business. So the bottom line is work on your offer as much or more than you work on your brand identity and your business has a much more likelihood to survive.
0: Wow, that's so insightful. Do you have an example of of a client or a student or a business you've seen where you felt like they got hung up on focusing on their identity too much and, and didn't get clear messaging on just the offer itself?
1: Well, I, I do have stories, but they're terrible and I don't want to name
0: names. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'll give said, you a
1: hypothetical that is conglomerate sure. of 50. There we go different businesses that I've known. And, and, and what it is, is they, they do you know, rounds of, of funding. Uh, and so somebody, you know, the first round would be, you know, they, they end up with half a million dollars. And the very first thing they do is they go buy like swag. You know, they oh. come up with a logo and they buy swag. And, and I'm just like, well, I would rather take that half a million dollars and create an entry level product that you can sell so you can turn it into a million. Yeah. So they start working on their brand identity and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if if they're lucky enough or unlucky enough to, you know, get millions and millions in funding, they'll go buy an office building.
0: Mm.
1: Or worse, they'll lease an office building in a really nice part of town and decorate it really beautifully and fill it with ping pong tables and kegs and <laughs> cereal bars. And none of that makes money. None <laughs> of that makes money. Uh, yeah. And so what you're doing is you're bloating your overhead mm. – uh, and you know, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna help you in the, you know, with your bottom line. We, you know, we see Vice right now, the company Vice, the news outlet, going bankrupt. And the ugly truth about Vice is they never made any money. There was, mm. they never made a single dollar in profit the entire time that they existed, wow. and now they're going bankrupt. But they have this, this wonderful identity. You know this brand identity that so many people identified with and really liked, and man, you just spent too much money on it. Bottom line, mm-hmm. you spent too much money looking like a rock star and not enough money on actual product that people would want to pay money for. Um, yeah. I, I think of these businesses as hackberries. There's a tree in Tennessee where I live called a hackberry, and hackberries really are pretty trees. They look like elephant feet. You know, they're kind of gray and they come up out of the ground with these really solid bases and they grow lightning fast. I mean, in 20 years, you can have a hackberry that looks like a hundred year old oak. Wow. The problem with the hackberry is it's nearly hollow inside and the wood oh. is so bad, you can't even use it as firewood. It burns up in an instant like a piece oh, of wow. paper. You can't build with it. You can't do anything with it. And they're very dangerous because they get very tall, very heavy, and then they fall on you. <laughs> <laughs> wow
0: it's a deep metaphor right it's there a man deep
1: metaphor Whew. and i think a lot of businesses are built like hackberries and the reality wow. is an oak tree takes a minute an oak tree takes a minute mm. and you got to get it right so you, you know you want to build your product offering so that it's in demand and profitable then build your messaging in order to sell that product then build your brand around those two things
0: that's so powerful Man, it, the, the, I think of the digital equivalent for a lot of solopreneurs, course creators, coaches, you know, spending as much money as they can on all the tools you know, obsessing over, should I use Kajabi to host my courses versus, you know, Podia? Should I, you know, and and hiring quickly, like I'm going to have a video editor and I'm going to do this. And they're, they're already, you know, it's like, I love the four hour work week and I can appreciate all of that, but they're already like hiring out and delegating everything. They've never done it themselves. And so they have their costs, which is one of the steps, the overhead and operations, managing your costs really, really high. And, and they're trying to have the best looking website, Um, They're really concerned with, to your point, the visual, how they come across and, and not nearly, okay, now it's time maybe to start focusing on an offer. And then the problem is, is the offer isn't the thing that on the outside, you know, when you compare yourself to other businesses, you see the outside, but you don't see really the secret sauce, which is they've figured out what the offer is, if it's good or they haven't, if it's not good. And so I think it's easy to just mimic a nice looking brand, whether it's digitally, virtually or or brick and mortar um, and play the part of being in business without ever doing the thing that makes the business run. And I was thinking about this because I'm, I'm trying to get into more public speaking and I've been, you know, working with speaking coaches and learning from some of the best, and and I'm like, what? You know, I can communicate, and I can see people who are great communicators, but what are they doing under the surface when they're crafting a keynote or crafting a message? And as I'm learning, it's so funny because it's it's just like what we do in business and mark. It's just marketing. It's just an offer. Like literally, I was taking a speaking course, and and the framework was product solution action. You know, it's the PSA. I'm like, well, that's how I'll write a sales page. You know, it's 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 very much not there's all the fun things the stories the humor how what you wear you know how how you sound those spice it up. But it's like the core of a good talk is like, what is it about? I think of your book, like clarify your message. If you confuse, you lose. A lot of talks are so confusing. What are you, what's the one message I'm supposed to take away from this keynote? I forget. I walk away and say, I think that was good, but I don't remember. And I'm just seeing there's these parallels of what is the thing as where I'm getting at underneath all of this, the dressings of a business. And it's, it's the offer at the end of the day, which means you have to know the audience that you're going to serve and what they want and need.
1: That and and as a speaker, Graham, what you want to do is you want to own a specific problem, and you want that to be a problem that plenty of conference attendees have, mm-hmm. right? And so, if um, you know, I'm just making stuff up, but if you know, if you have a if you if you want to speak to dental practitioners everywhere, you know, the problem might be how to increase your profit margin, or how to use new technology, or how to franchise a dental operation. If you're known as the person who is the expert at that, you're going to speak at every dental conference. You know what I mean? So if you're known as the person who helps you make online courses, uh, you're probably going to speak at a lot of different small business uh, organizations because people want to get into online courses. If you're the person on how to use AI to grow a small business, you're going to speak at every conference in this country, yeah. right? Because that's what everybody's wondering right now. And so you know, every talk that you give, every keynote that you give is a product and the person buying it is actually the event coordinator. Yes.
0: <laughs> so yes, your 100% customer is
1: not the audience. Your customer is the event coordinator who needs to book somebody at a good price who will deliver massive value to the audience. I would spend 50% of your time working on your keynote and the other 50% of the time working on
0: your offer to event coordinators. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll have a successful career. Hey friend, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me today. I want to give you my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. This is a four-week checklist, bullet points to go from zero audience, zero customers, maybe even zero idea of what your business should be to putting money in your pocket 30 days from now, It won't be a million dollars in 30 days, but it will be money in your pocket. You will have figured out your idea. You will have tested your idea. You will have launched your idea and taken massive action towards building a business and a life that you love. If you already know your business idea, but you've been sitting around and you haven't taken action on it, then you need this guy because it'll walk you through a four week plan to go from where you are to putting money in your pocket in 30 days. And if you've never figured out what your business idea is and you have no followers online and no audience, it's okay. This will help you start at zero. I promise you. It's a PDF. It's fast. It's easy to read. It's not an ebook. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this. It's more about taking action and doing the right things in the right order. And it's free as my gift to you. So just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart to get your 30 day online income jumpstart guide. It's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Now back to the episode. That's That's, that's so wise. I love it. So, okay, these six, I love how you've broken down, um, you know, growth plan for your business into six areas. I always feel like if you take a big problem, which you're solving in your book, How to Grow Your Small Business, great name, by the way, uh, take that big problem, which can feel overwhelming, break it down into, okay, well, here's six specific areas you could improve. If you had some improvement in all six of these areas, I like the language of dials, right? If you dialed it up a little bit in these six areas, you would see massive improvement, um, which I love. So two things about this one. I just want to zoom out for a second since I, I'm a fan of your work and, and the way you teach. I feel like you, maybe you would agree with this, but I feel like you're one of those people who has the rare ability to take very complex and overwhelming things and teach it to somebody in a way that's like, why didn't I think of that? Or that sounds so easy. Or I could do that, which is an empowerment technique, which I think is the most impressive form of teaching is not just transfer of knowledge or even having, you know, allowing light bulbs to go on and giving people insights, but having them walk away feeling like I can actually do this. Do you feel like you always have that gift? Did, have you discovered that about yourself? Did you feel like people say that about you? Because you've done it really well in every every book I've read of yours.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think uh, if I'm good at anything, it's it's making very complex things simple. But I don't do it the way that most people think I'm doing it. Um, there's really a root belief that causes me to simplify so much, and that is I do not believe in magic. In other words, if somebody accomplishes something, I believe I don't believe they got lucky, and I don't believe they got struck by lightning. I don't believe that. I believe they did something, and I don't think it was probably that complicated. And, and the sad truth is a lot of people who are really successful won't tell you Yeah, what they did or how they did it, and they may not even know. And and luck does play a part of in it. But by the way, if you use the right strategy, you tend to get a lot more lucky, right? (laughs) Yep. And so, what I like doing is just going and say, "What's really happening here? What's really happening?" You know, this person has, has scaled up a billion dollar business. What really happened? And you know, what really happened is they did this, 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 and this. And it's almost never intuitive. It's almost never what people are thinking. So, you know, with marketing you see these brands that are really enormous and, and you kind of say, okay, what are they really doing? Like, does Coca-Cola taste that good? Uh, does it taste that much better than Pepsi or RC Cola or whatever? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, you know, but I don't know that that's how they grew. What they really did was first they invited customers into a story. Uh, that was 100 years ago. And then they started creating branding uh, that people attached to their self map. So you literally became a Coca-Cola person or a Mm. Pepsi person. That's how they did it. And then they they also offered, as a secret of their strategy, this is a secret to anybody's strategy who's listening to me right now, they offered millions of businesses ways to make a lot of money. So every 7-Eleven you go in is making a ton of money off Coca-Cola. Every movie theater you go in is making a ton of money off Coca-Cola. Every Chick-fil-A you visit is making a ton of money off Coca Cola. How does Coca-Cola make money? They make other people a lot more. That's wow. how they do it. And so, you know, it's a magic trick. But nobody's sitting there going, Well, Coca Cola's like to sit there go, We're in the money business. We wow. actually just make people money and we take a piece. But that's exactly the business that they're in.
0: And that's fascinating. So your obsession with just like reverse engineering success or what people are doing behind the scenes you think leads you to be able to communicate that in those those steps. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean that's really it. You know, just say, you know, things can't maintain they can't be a mystery to you. Yeah. You've got to look and you gotta say, okay, how are they really doing this? Yeah. Just like, you know, uh my wife and I do a uh anti-human trafficking fundraiser every year. And last year we had fun because, you know, an anti-human trafficking fundraiser can feel very heavy. You know? yeah, and sure. uh, so we did this thing where we invited three magicians to come and they just kind of stood around at the cocktail portion of it and did some tricks. And then we, you know, they, they, you know, you could go upstairs and watch a five minute magic show. It was really fun. It was really cute. And um, but, you know, what's everybody thinking when they're watching this magic trick? They're trying to figure out how he did it, right? It. He's got yeah. something up his sleeve, or there's a magnet in his ring, or whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever's going on. And I think that's the sort of curiosity that you want to have when you're looking at any of your friends' successful businesses, rather than go, "Gosh, they're lucky." You're done. That's a that's called a thought stopper. Wow. When you say that person is lucky, you stop thinking about how wow. they did it, and you got that. You don't say that. Just go, "How are they doing it?" and A lot of times with a guy like me and a guy like you, Graham, we'll sit down and tell you, you're not hiding anything. You you know, you put the ACE card right here and you put the magnet on the ring and you move it around like that's how you do it. And, uh, and listen to that and believe in your ability to learn how to do it and then do it.
0: Wow. That's so good. I always feel like the idea of taking a statement and turning it into a question with a how at the front of it just unlocks so many possibilities. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't afford a house. In this city? How could I afford a house in this city? There you, know, you go. Boy, I, like, it's just great. such a, oh, it just opens up your mind. That's
1: a great piece of advice, Graham. Yeah, that really is.
0: So let's, these six areas, real quick. I love them, right? And I, I love the book and I love the flow. Um, wh- what's the one if people are like, I'm overwhelmed, I need help in all six? <laughs> they're reading your book and they're like, I, I do need to improve. And they probably do. We all need to work on all six. Is there one that kind of becomes a domino effect? If I could improve a little bit in this area, it would really imp- help me improve the other ones faster?
1: Yes. It's, it, chapter one is, is about overhauling your guiding principles. The first part of that chapter is about overhauling your mission statement. And the first part of your mission statement, which I think is foundational, it's the lead domino, is three economic objectives. So you literally, your, your mission statement needs to start with, we are going to sell this many of this unit, this many of this unit, let me start over because I just got a little ding there. I hope, I hope oh, yeah, you're, you're fine. Um, your mission statement needs to start with, we're going to sell this many of this unit, this many of this unit, and this many of this unit by this deadline because of the reason that it matters. That, that There's a formula, we will accomplish X by Y because of Z that I share in the book. But the X are three economic objectives. And the reason I choose three is because the human brain has trouble prioritizing more than three things at a time. And so for you to be able to say, hey, where do we really make our money? What are the three things that, that we sell where we make usually 80% of our money for most small businesses? And then actually set a goal to perhaps double those. So if you sell online courses and you sell 500 a year, your goal is going to sell 1,000 of them. You know, if you sell if you upsell you know monthly or weekly consulting and you sell twenty of those, you're gonna to try to sell forty. You know, and, and once you actually establish those three goals, everything else by and what I mean by that is your business plan starts to fall into place. Yeah. Because now you're asking myself, okay, how are we gonna do that? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then you're like, we're gonna need a lead generator, we're gonna need a landing yep. page, we're gonna to need to be on keynote stages, we're gonna be and all of a sudden your workload. Just goes up. But if you sit there and go, I really want to make twice as much money. Good luck trying to figure out how.
0: Yes. I, I love that. And I think the exact same way. That's why I love your book. Like, I think the exact same way of like, big question, I have to break it down. What, what, what do I need to do every week to make that a reality? And I actually feel like the weight gets lighter the moment I start to identify it as you've described. Like, okay, well, I have this many people in the membership. I to get the, my revenue goal. I this next year I need to reach this many people in the membership, and so what is that going to take? Well, how many times am I promoting it, and what's right. my offer look like, and could I upsell other courses into the membership to get more people? It just makes it more of like a thing I can go do now, as opposed to I wish I could two x my business. You know, it's so a, a, a practical and takes the concepts and turns it into action. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so, and that's the idea. Is you know, there hasn't been a playbook that has been written in very simple language, that helps people grow a small business. And if if you go get an MBA from any school, you're going to learn about mergers and acquisitions. You're going to learn about dealing with private equity. You're going to be qualified, by the time you get an MBA, to be chairman of the Federal Reserve. And you know how many (laughs) of those are? There's one. One. You aren't getting that job, and you're going to forget how to do it by the time they offer you the job. So so, so you you need to know how to make money. And this book is really just about saying, hey, if you've got a small business, here's how to make more money with it.
0: I, I love that. And, and last kind of question around around the book here, as we wrap up in a second, is let's say someone reads it and they start to apply it um, and they're all in on these six steps. How long do you think it would take to turn things around or at least start to see some positive momentum for the, the average small business in applying yeah, so your the, book?
1: The book is designed to double your run rate within six months if you are a sub-million dollar business. If you are larger than a million dollar business, it's going to take longer than that. You know, if you want to double your run rate as a five million dollar business, it's going to take at least twelve months. But within six months, you could have a thirty percent increase on your run rate. And what I mean by that is if you're making a million dollars a month, but within six months, you could be making one point three. You know, every step of the six steps is designed to increase revenue because businesses eat cash and they eat a lot of it. And so I know what small business owners need. They need cash, yeah. especially going into a recession. You need yeah. money. And so the business is designed to, you know, if you're sub million dollars, I think you can double your run rate uh, by the end of six months, which means if you're a million dollar business, after six months, the subsequent 12 months, you're going to make 2 million. I hope that's the hope. And uh, it's, it was designed with that idea in mind.
0: And I hope everyone's listening to that. Just there's a meta moment right there of the way Donald's talking about the, the problem he's trying to solve in the book and then the specificity. Specificity—that's the word. Specificity of it. I'm not gonna try to say it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, look at how deep. Like, this is a lesson for us. How deep he thought about like who this book is really going to be for. You know, sub million dollar. And this is sort of the outcome. If you apply it, you can achieve this more than likely. If you're over a million, considering this, like that's how deep he's thinking about it. So that he's then even crafting the book, and therefore, like, think about your product. If it's a course or a membership, like, don't just like I help people now, like. grow their online business, start or grow their online business, but that's so vague, right? So like my community, for example, the six figure coaching community, I had to get really specific. I want people who've already launched an online business scale to $10,000 a month or more working 20 hours a week or less. And that's, that's very specific. If you're already making a hundred thousand dollars, it's not really for you, but we can probably help you get to multi six figures or seven, but yeah. it's really for a specific type of person to reach a specific objective. And when you identify that for yourself, and I'm sure you felt this way, Don, like there's so much more clarity as you're creating the book or the offer because you know who it's for and you're gonna address everything and just line it up for that person to reach that goal as opposed to general advice on how to just grow, although it will apply to everybody in that regard. So anyway, I thought that was like a meta moment right there of how we can yeah, think about our need products.
1: need to be able to see themselves in the offer and and realize they can do that or they want that yeah right so if you if you're selling uh really great family memories good luck if you're selling a playground you can put in the backyard that your kids will love all summer long you're gonna you're gonna do fine so the more vague as you as you have suggested the more vague your offer is the less of it you're gonna sell
0: so good so good and guys go read story brand too how how to build a story brand it's that will help you early on on the marketing side as well. Just put get the both books, <laughs> get both books, and dial in and clarify that message. Oh man, I, I I know we're short for time. I have one final question. We do a segment on this show called the Golden Rule segment. Um, this can go any direction you want. It has doesn't have to do anything with your book if you don't want it to. But uh, if your kids forgot everything you ever taught them, you and your wife taught them everything to be responsible citizens, to you know love love the Lord, to like create wonderful products and services and serve people well and not be a jerk, all these things. And they forget everything you teach them except for one piece of advice or wisdom that they would carry with them for the rest of their life. Somewhat like a golden rule. What would you want that to be? Or what have you wanted that to be?
1: Graham, it's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful, beautiful question, especially when we're talking about our children uh, I have one daughter. She's going to be two years old in, in two months, and she is the joy of our lives. We have a great time with her. I read somewhere, and I can't remember where. I need to go back and find it, but that, that uh, young women, children, you know, get their ability to self-soothe from their mother mm. and their self-esteem from their father. I don't know if that's true, but it gave me something to own. It gave me a purpose as a dad mm. to just say, she's going to get her self-esteem from me. And I think personally, women who have low self-esteem get a lot more hurt than men who have mm. low self-esteem. Men who have low self-esteem tend to hurt people, and women who have low self-esteem tend to get hurt. Wow. So you know, just as generals, and I realize it's, it's, there's gender fluidity and all that kind of stuff, but the, in general, I think that's pretty much true. Um, and so every day, I tell my daughter that she's beautiful, and uh, what I want her to know, the foundation, if she can only remember one thing, is that she is worth... Being treated well. Mm. That's what I wanted to know. You are worth being treated well. And if somebody doesn't treat you well, they cannot afford to be friends with you (laughs) because that's the payment. And also treat other people well because everybody deserves to be treated well. And if you don't treat people well, it's because you've forgotten something, the value of a human being. So, you know, somebody doesn't treat you well. If a young man doesn't treat you well, that's, uh, that's the last time you're going to hang out with him until he figures his stuff out.
0: That's what Sounds like a girl dad to me. I'm a dad of two daughters as well. And one's almost 14. And not, now I'm having to deal oh, with man. some of that. I, but I yes,
1: she has very high self-esteem. You seem like the type of guy. So I think, oh, yeah. I think that's my only okay. that's
0: my only ammo is like like raise the bar for them. So they're like, yeah, you're nowhere close to my dad. That's my goal absolutely. is to just like raise it. <laughs> absolutely.
1: And they won't even know why. They're like, I'm not hanging out with that guy. You
0: exactly. Know. It's subconscious. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Don, this has been great, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you put out there in the world. It helps people. And you're one of those voices in the space that just makes it seem so doable and so approachable. And uh, and I just love that about you. So kudos to you. I'm glad that this book is having success already. Everyone, go pick up the book, How to Grow Your Small Business, a six-step plan to help your business take off. Donald Miller, it has been an absolute pleasure, my man. Graham,
1: so awesome. Thanks
0: for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. He's just such an incredible guy to talk to. And I just love having people like him in this space who can, again, take the complex whether it's marketing or sales copy, or scaling a business, and make it simple. Tell us what to focus on and what to ignore. So, just so grateful for Donald, I'm grateful for this episode, I hope you took a lot out of it, and hopefully hopefully, you've dived into, or zeroed in on the one or two areas of those six key areas in your business that you're like, you know what, these are the areas I need to focus on in this next season of business. To dive into it more, check out the whole book, How to Grow Your Small Business, a six-step plan to help your business take off. Um, Like everything Donald puts out, it's incredibly easy to digest and take action on. As always, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hope you've had an incredible day. Thanks for spending part of it with us. We'll see you on another episode real soon.